you know you have a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. Season 4, Episode 3. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing and actually publishing your story, you will find all the mentoring you'll need to fulfill that book launching dream. And um, I'll be doing another intensive in February of 2018. I had to cancel the November one because I'm going to Geneva to do an intensive there. Um, Also, if you're interested in going to Geneva to do an intensive, it's actually a lot cheaper. Now you have to pay for your airfare, but maybe you're listening to this and you live in the European area. Um, It is the first week of November. So anyway, if you're interested, just email me at mary at marydemuth.com and I'll send you the information. I would also appreciate it if you could uh, share the word about this podcast or write a quick review on iTunes. That just helps it to get in the hands of more folks. And if you would like to be on the Restory Show and share your four-minute or less testimony, just go to marydemuth.com. Click on the right-hand side. You'll see this little microphone and click on that and you can record your story and we'll add it. Today, I am welcoming author and speaker and friend Judy Douglas. And uh, she is an amazing person, has been a huge encourager to me. And today she shares a story about a prodigal. And I think those of you who have ever had a prodigal in your life, whether that be a friend or a family member, you know the anguish that comes from watching someone make destructive choices. And so she has some amazing words for you today. This is going to be a rich episode. So uh, without further ado, here is Judy Douglas. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth from The Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have my friend Judy Douglas on The Restory Show today. And I always say my friend because all these people are my friends. So Judy, thanks so much for coming today. Well, Mary, I am thrilled to be here with you. What a treat. You have been such an encouragement to me, and maybe I have been to you, but what a treat. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your story. And um, before we get into your story, just tell the the listeners a little bit about who you are, where you live, do you have kids, where you grew up, stuff like that. Well, because, you know, I'm from where you live, from Texas. I know. That's the first thing I tell people of course. is I'm from Texas. Now, I haven't lived there in, oh, 50 years, but uh, can't that's take okay. It, take it out of you. It's always there. No, you can't take it out of me. It is always there. But I grew up in a wonderful family in Dallas and uh, didn't know the Lord, though we went to church some. And um, my dad was a doctor and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And we, I have three sisters and we're really close now. Growing up, not so much, but now we are. And um, my father was a very in bright and intelligent and capable person. And I always felt that he thought and without ever pushing me that I could do anything I wanted. And my what I wanted was to be a writer. I wanted to especially as I studied journalism at the University of Texas, I wanted to be a magazine writer and eventually an editor. And, and that was my dream. When I was in high school, I met Jesus uh, through Young Life. Mm. Uh, 
That's right. We're young life sisters. Yes. And so a very special ministry to me. I still love them and encourage them uh, in a lot of different ways, uh, individual kinds of things. And was discipled some through Young Life, through all through high school. I was on work crew at Frontier Ranch and things like that. So it was a great place. And uh, when I uh, went to the University of Texas, I said, Lord, I need three things. I think I need some people around me who will help me to keep following Christ. And I need to know how to live this life because I still haven't quite got it because I didn't learn it at all growing up. And so then I thought I also need to learn how to tell people about Jesus because I wanted to. But my first week at the University of Texas, I met a, a boy, and um, he didn't know Jesus. And we went to parties and things. And at the end of the first semester, I went, okay, this isn't working, Lord. And I said, please help me. I still need those three things. And so I went back to campus after Christmas. And the first thing I did was ask a friend, can we do a Bible study together? And she said, oh, yes, you know, I just met Jesus. And uh, would you like to talk to the woman that talked to me? I said, I would love to. Well, it turns out I'd actually met her before in Young Life. And Mm -hmm. um, so I started going to a Campus Crusade for Christ leadership training class where I met all these wonderful students and and staff who were encouraging me in my walk with Jesus. I learned how to walk in the power of the Spirit and not be dependent on my own goodness or strength or willpower to make right choices. And I learned how to tell people about Jesus, and it changed my life. It was just truly transforming for me. And I was involved with Campus Crusade, now crew, for the rest of my time at the University of Texas. When I was graduating, I really felt God was calling me to staff. I'd actually been on student staff for two years, and and it was like, this is what I should do. I had two little problems. I was engaged, (laughs) actually, to the person I'd started dating the first week of my freshman year, who I had led to Jesus, and he had you know, grown and and involved some with our ministry, but he didn't feel called to join our staff at all. And I said, God, when are you going to tell him? (laughs) And God said, well, Judy, if you marry him, you won't be able to do what I want you to do. It was deeply significant because my whole life had been wanting my own way. And when I came to Christ, it was with a sense of, I choose your way, not mine. And, and so God says, my way is that you not marry him. Wow. So I, my engagement. The second thing <laughs> challenging was that that dream that I'd had in Campus Crusade, at that time, I didn't know of anything I could do but go on campus and talk to people about Jesus, which I was willing and glad to do. But it meant I was giving up my dream. And I went, God drives a hard bargain. He calls me to ministry. And then he says, give up the man you love in your dream. I'm just like, God. But I said, yes. And that man, he took away. He's a wonderful person. But he was out of my life, though we're still friends. And uh, I didn't actually marry for nine more years. 
that's a whole nother story we're not doing today. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just, he was worth waiting for. Mm. So God took this away, but he much later gave me something that was better for me. The other, the dream, while well, I went to our staff conference, Bill Bright, the founder and president of our ministry, called me into his office. He said, you have a journalism degree. I said, I do. He said, we have this campus magazine we're going to be doing. Would you consider, instead of going to a campus, coming to the headquarters and doing this magazine for all the campuses? And I'm like, seriously, I can do what God wants me to do on staff, be a writer, work on a magazine. And I did that for the next 14 years with our ministry, writing, editing, helping Bill Bright write, uh, starting the Worldwide Challenge magazine, which was our organizational's um, mouthpiece organ uh, magazine. And it was just, I loved what I was doing. And in that time, I eventually married Steve Douglas, uh, who was then uh, vice president for administration and became the U.S. director and is now the president of crew globally and uh, would never have expected that. Neither would a lot of people who knew me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, Judy? Uh, and so one more thing, I guess. I have three children. They're in their 30s, Debbie and Michelle and Josh. And I have nine grandchildren. And it's about the highlight of my life these days. It's kind of like, no, I, I don't need to do anything else. I'm just going to spend time with all my grandchildren. And we just had a family vacation in Colorado. Oh, my goodness, was it fun. All 17 of us, the eight adults and nine children, only it rained the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and yet... We still had a wonderful time, and they all are walking with God, and it's um, it's just a joy. I marvel at the place that I am with my family. I continue to work with our ministry uh, full-time. I write a blog. I travel around the world speaking with our staff, uh, seeking to encourage them to believe God for what he wants to do in them and through them that they will discover who he made them to be and how he's planning to use them. And um, what an incredible privilege. These, these men and women who have said, here I am, Lord, I'll go wherever you want. And I'm the one who gets to encourage them. So that's, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. So you're the CEO, the chief encouragement officer at Crew. <laughs> there, yes, I would say that is my main job. And, and I, I've received that from you too as well. Even though I'm not on staff, I've, I've definitely gleaned a lot of wisdom and strength from your story. So thank you for that. So uh, why don't you share today the story that you'd like to share with the Restory listeners? Because I know it's, it's a story that a lot of people have, and it's not one that people would put in their life dream, like, oh, I would really like to have this story. So let's go ahead and start with that. Okay. Well, I had my first child at age 36, and my next one just before I turned 38, and I was done. Uh, that was enough. And God said, no, I really want you to have another child. And I went, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> yes, please. And I said, okay, okay. 
well, so God was kind. I got pregnant. I got excited about this child, mm. and I lost it. Mm. Baby didn't make it, and I was devastated. It's like I thought God was playing tricks on me, and I was pretty mad at him and grieving the loss. And so for the next month, I, I guess my husband took care of my two little girls. They were two and four at the time. <laughs> and because I don't think I did, because I was in full mode grief and anger at God. And I had many, many long conversations with him and um, finally was coming to some peace and accepting it. And, um, and then I heard a word from God. And he said, I'm going to send you a son and you don't need to do anything about it. And I went, okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, I didn't get pregnant again. And I told my husband and he's like, really? Huh? <laughs> and then he said, do you think we should look into adopting? I said, no, I think this is God's, not ours. And so time went on and I was getting more fully back into the ministry. The girls were growing. And I'm like, I'm done. No more. So God, just let's forget the boy. And he said, oh, no. I'm <laughs> just too wait. And I went, okay. Well, if it happens. And my faith was great. Uh, <laughs> and um, then we were moving to Florida from California, our whole headquarters. And just before we were leaving, God said, when you get to Florida, someone will ask if you can take a boy. And I just went, okay, if that happens, then I'll know this is you and not just my imagination. Six weeks, a new friend turned to me and said, by the way, do you know someone who could take an eight-year-old boy? And I didn't even think. I just looked, I just stared at her and tears were flowing. And she said, what's wrong? <laughs> so I told her and she started to cry. She was the best friend of the couple who were the grandparents to our son, Josh. And he had been taken from his birth mother. Uh, she's a drug addict and an alcoholic and lots of neglect, some abuse, lots of needs in his life. And no dad, didn't know who his dad was. And so the grandparents had him, but they were already raising his older half-sister. And they said, we, we can't keep him. And so they were going to go put him into the foster care system. A friend, Carol is her name, said, no, no, no. She said, I will find a home for him. All these Campus Crusade people are moving here. And so, yeah, we got there and we said, we will enter the process. But it took almost a year. God put him in our home as a foster child. And from that day on, our lives changed. Hmm. He, he was a nice kid, you know? He's really cute. And, but he had so many issues from his abandonment, from his neglect, from the fact that his mother had been doing drugs and alcohol when she was carrying him. That have great impact on the mind and reasoning and managing your life kind of things. Plus, he was, you know, he hoarded um, McDonald's ketchup packs because he didn't know when he was going to eat. And lots of story there. It was not easy. At the end of three years, they terminated his mother's rights, and we had to decide if we would take him. 
And if you were to ask us emotionally, he never would give anything back to us. He suffered from RAD, which is reactive attachment disorder, uh, which is, you know, nobody's been trustworthy to me before. So I won't believe you're going to be. And so he kept a distance. He kept a wall up kind of. So there was nothing coming back in all our efforts to be good to and love him and uh, support him and provide for him. All of it was just like irrelevant to him. And he didn't care about us. He didn't really care if we adopted him, but he didn't see a better choice. And they asked him because he was 12 by then. They said, do you want to go to live big? adopted by the Douglases, and he said, sure. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and, um, but we weren't so sure because it had been a hard three years with him, and he was just, you know, 12, going into 13, and um, we weren't sure what it would be like. And my two daughters, are, my younger daughter, Michelle, is a very loving, caring, compassionate person. She's a counselor. She has insights into people. So she said, as we had a little family powwow, she said, well, I don't know that I really want to keep him, but I don't want to ruin the rest of his life by rejecting him. And I thought, oh, yes. And my husband, who was very concerned that we, the distraction that, that our son was making, uh, our foster son at that time, was just tremendously difficult on the life God had given us leading our ministry. And so he said, well, of course, Michelle would say that. But Debbie at that time was 14, very 14, uh, (laughs) focused, not real spiritual in her attitudes, and really didn't like this boy. And so she's like, you know, she, she wants to say, no, we can't do it. And she says instead, we just need to suffer gladly. God sent him to us. He must have things to teach us. Hmm. Wow. And we just went, what? <laughs> and we were just like, where's Debbie? Bring her back. Mm. So we said yes. Wow. And, and then um, everything was roses and posies. Oh, yes, because he turned 13, he went into middle school. But big sixth-grade boys usually are. Yes. Little kids still, most of them. Well, Josh was almost two years older than them because his birthday's in October. He's grade behind. Plus, he's a big person. And so he's towering over. He's as big as all the ninth-graders. And he found out there was a lot of power in size. And he really became a bully. He also had ADD and uh, couldn't stay still. Teachers couldn't teach when he was in the room. So he spent most of his seventh grade, sixth grade, in alternative classroom, which he thought was normal. And uh, we had conversations about that. But but by the middle of of seventh grade, uh, he was on the edge of getting kicked out of school. And had joined a gang and was increasingly defiant toward us. And God led us to put him in a program, a Christian residential program here in Orlando that we also had to participate in. And there were many wonderful and many difficult things about it. I'll focus on the wonderful ones. He had his mind filled with scripture. He had a thousand rules to follow 
And so every time he broke one, there was a consequence. So he got some real life experience and consequences, which I guess we hadn't been as good at. And um, he got counseling. We got counseling. That was all part of the program. And uh, we were forced to connect with each other. At first, we couldn't see him. And then we had to, in a regular time, spend time with him and talk to him and, and be with him. And two wonderful things after that happened. One, he came to Christ. His, his house dad called me up. He said, Josh received Christ, and we baptized him. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, and that night, I just had an incredible experience with God, uh, rejoicing, praying for him, and then this almost vision that God was opening me up, and he had this huge vat, and he was pouring something into me. What is that? He said, that's my love for Josh. You're going to need it. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just have your love for me, please? (laughs) Because I don't want to. (laughs) That sounds a little scary to me. It was a little scary. And yet it was very real. And the love that that God gave me for him was, was tangible almost. And there's so many stories. I'll try and tighten this up. <laughs> um, he finished the program there, trying to walk with God. Um, he came home. We were going to continue the schooling that he had there at home to get him caught up. And he begged and begged to go back to school. He would be in ninth grade. He had just gotten a driver's license. His grandparents gave him a car. And he's going into ninth grade. And Well, he's so we made all sorts of rules and parameters, said, yes, you can go to school. But that lasted about three weeks before he was back with his old friends and bad choices and not doing well in school. So we ended up homeschooling uh, the rest of high school to get him a diploma. That was the objective. And it was never easy. But all of that to say, uh, the things that we encountered over the next three to four years, five, six years, six years probably. I don't remember now. Hard. There there were skipping school, failing school. There was cars. He went through 17 cars in five years. Wow. He did not replace all his cars. They were not mostly accidents or something. A few were. But he would trade cars with people and get different ones and go racing. And uh, he um, hung out some with his old gang friends. The whole group was, two of them had the same probation officer. They thought that was cool. I would get the phone calls. Would it be in the middle of the night? Would it be the hospital or the jail? And we got, he almost was killed in an accident. He was in jail. He was at juvenile detention. And then later he was in jail for stupid decisions. They weren't terrible things he did, but they actually helped him. <laughs> Fear of jail in him. And, um, and he would steal money. And his friends who we welcomed into our home would steal money. And then there were the drugs and the alcohol and the girls. And, and it just got out of hands. And then there would be an intersection kind of where God would bring into his life some man who would kind of come and be into his life and uh, really help him to walk with the Lord. And that would last for a few months, but then he would be, it'd go down again. And so it was 
a long time down, occasionally up walking with God, wanting to, but just not able to. And nothing, nothing that we did, you know, strong boundaries, love and care, church youth group, all these things, jobs with working with Christians, you know, nothing seemed to make a difference to get him out of this. Uh, He um, was pretty addicted to alcohol. I I don't know how much he was addicted to drugs, but alcohol was kind of his go-to because he had so much pain from the losses of his life. And anytime something was too much to handle, which because of his issues with his mother's drinking and alcohol, uh, was fairly often. His brain just didn't have the capacity to manage lots. But we learned all those things later. But his go-to when things were too hard was to drink. He also threatened to kill himself several times. uh, And one time, maybe twice, really came close. And in the middle of the night, I was texting on the phone because he wouldn't talk to me. But finally responded to a text. and, And for an hour, I texted with him not to pull the trigger on the gun he was holding. And he didn't. Through this, as hard as it was, as painful as it was, we maintained a mostly really good relationship. My girls struggled more. My husband wasn't so sure. There were just so many hard things about it that were against everything that all of us really thought was right. But here's what it comes down to. I mean, that was, it was all hard and uh, God turned it around. And, but long before he turned Josh around, he turned me around. And so that I suppose is uh, how he took this very difficult story and made something really good. I've talked a lot about it when I speak. Josh lets me tell the story. So I am not betraying him. He knows he made bad choices. He knows how hard it was. Uh, He knows we loved him through it. But here's some of the things that God did. I I wrote an article called Gratitude for a Grievous Gift. And when God sent him to us, I had this really strong sense that he was a real gift. But in the long journey of what was 15 years almost of hard stuff, from the beginning to, uh, I, I just kept saying, this is a gift. This is a gift. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'd say, it's a grievous gift, God. It, it's a hard gift. And, but here's some of the things that God taught me through it that make it such an incredible gift that he has been in my life. And all of our family would say the same thing in different degrees and different ways. But The first thing is, he just drove me into the arms of the Lord. I absolutely, we we didn't know what to do. We tried the counseling, we tried program, we tried um, different schools, we tried homeschool, you know, everything and nothing. And um, so God just wrapped me in his arms and loved me and um, said, you know, I love you the way you are. Probably there are things you do that disappoint me a little. Uh, I went, yeah, that's probably true. He says, I love you. 
And he, he just, he said, you can't do this. I said, yeah, I know. He says, but I can give you what you need to do this. And the sense of the Holy Spirit being available to empower me and give me the character qualities to give me a compassion, grace and mercy in a greater degree. These were all the things that he, he was showing me. He said, he's a gift because you are now understanding to a greater degree. You can't do it on your own. Whatever you need to do in your life, including loving this boy, I will give you what you need to do. Another gift was prayer. Now, our ministry, we pray a lot. We pray, you know, we pray when we get up, we have quiet time, we pray at meals, we pray before we go to bed. And at every meeting, we pray to start it. We pray if we figure it out. We pray afterwards. We have days of prayer. We have nights of prayer. We pray. I had no clue of prayer until he gave me Josh. Because of Josh, I learned to pray. I learned to thank him. I learned to cry out. I learned to be angry, to tell him what I thought, to speak truth to him. I didn't try to pretend about it. I learned to join with other people to pray. As a result, we have this worldwide online community of prayer for prodigals. And Josh, that's a gift that that God gave me through Josh. Another gift that he gave me is the sense that unconditional love doesn't require love in return. Because as my love for this boy grew and his lack of response remained the same, I just said, God, can't he ever say I love you, mom? No, he couldn't. It took him 12 years to be able to say I love you. He says it all the time now. Sometimes he just texts me out of the blue, I love you. And um, it's just been a a wonderful change. But he said to me, Judy, if you think that your love for him means he has to love you back, you don't understand unconditional love. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that I can give love even though it may never come back. I'm grateful beyond words that it's come back, uh, that he has been able to love in return. But. I'm grateful that I also learned I can love even if it's not going to get returned. Another thing that I learned is about grace. A lot of times people uh, in the whole prodigal world, they're told over and over and over, tough love, tough love, tough love, because you don't want to enable them. And that's true. You don't want to enable them. You, you need real good boundaries. You need real consequences. But what you really need is the loving grace of God that is extended over and over. Because you see, God's not come and said, all right, that's it, Judy. done it too many times. I'm sorry, we're done. He doesn't do that to me. He just says, you're forgiven. There's mercy. And my grace says, you're welcome. Please come. I want you to come. And so one of the things that I tell people in the prodigal ministry that we have I said, you need whatever when you have to make some boundaries, when there are consequences. Make sure they know they are loved and that this will not stop you from loving them. And second, that you have arms welcome. I tell them that that Luke 15 
the the father in Luke 15 is our model. And whenever I would want to get mad and, and say, forget this, and that thought occurred to me many times, uh, <laughs> it's like, no, no, God never has given up on me. And I will not give up. And God says, good, because I sent him to you. And, uh, and I didn't give up on you. And I won't want you to give up on him. Okay, Lord. A last thing I learned probably that has been one of the most life-changing things of all is to say thank you. First Thessalonians 5 became very real to me. And I learned to say thank you all the time. So when Josh calls from jail, and I can say thank you. And when Josh calls from the hospital, I can say thank you, Lord. He's still alive. And uh, when he put his gun down, I can say thank you. And when he cut his head open with a chainsaw, <laughs> it didn't, but he sliced it. Um, I can say thank you, Lord. And and God has taught me. It's you know I can say thank you when he really came back to the Lord and he and he came and he quit drinking and he started he started working. Oh yeah, that we called it the most creative work of order we'd ever seen. <laughs> it's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. He works, works and works. And, and so those things all where they're they're good things that I'm grateful for naturally or the very hard things that are scary and I don't know what's gonna happen. I can say thank you, Lord. And that changes me so much because, first of all, it just immediately changes my my frame of mind uh, from anger, hurt, disappointment, frustration, fear, whatever my emotional reactions are, to one of, okay, Lord, I believe you. I know you're in control. I believe that you're good and that I can trust you. So... I'm grateful for that. And so I say thank you for this boy all the time. He's a man now. He's 37, 35. My daughter's 37. Uh, he will be 35 in a month. <laughs> and uh, he's married to a wonderful woman who has been part of what God has used to turn him around to help him work. He works really hard. And he really loves her and he serves her. He's. It's not all about what you can do for him. It's what he can do for her. They have. Uh, she has a fourteen-year-old, almost fifteen-year-old daughter, and then um, they have a one-year-old baby. Watching him with his little girl. Oh my goodness! It just gives my heart just beats hard because of the joy of seeing that. But longest, hardest journey that I've been on, and I, I. God has let me persevere in several things. And this was a hard perseverance to not give up. Did you know when people adopt people, they give them back sometimes? Because they can't do it. And I understand there are issues and there's safety involved and, and lack of capacity. But I just, you know, it's like, sure, it would have been easier. But I can't imagine missing the gifts uh, he's a treasure in my life and for my family as well. I love that story, and it's it's just a it's a really really important reminder to all parents that you know I I, I was recently asked to endorse a book, and 
I passed on it because the premise of the book was it was a it was a girl who said her parents did everything right so that she wouldn't rebel. And so the book is about how to parent so your kid won't rebel. And I'm like, yeah, there's no <laughs> there's no guarantee you could be the perfect parent and even, you know, in the garden of Eden Adam and Eve had the perfect parent and they rebelled. So uh, I don't think there's a formula. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there who are sad because they think they did something wrong or, or whatever. And, and I also think that people don't realize what a gift it is to have someone in your life, whether it be your child or a friend or a family member who's walked away from Christ because it does exactly what you said. It en- enlarges your heart. It enlarges your capacity to pray. It it keeps you on your knees and it keeps you close to him. And you've given some really, really good advice. But if someone called you today and said, you know, I've got a prodigal, uh, what what's kind of the advice that you would give someone like that? Well, I'm a slow learner. And so I kind of put things in little slogans sometimes. Um, some of the, what I would say is whatever you do, keep loving, make sure they know that, that you accept them. You're just disagreeing with their choices. You're afraid for them that the path those choices could take. You can speak truth to them, but you speak it in love and you demonstrate love. Um, you, I would say, remember grace when er, earlier in this time with Josh, One of the things that I heard God say to me that has stuck with me and guided me a lot was, he said, when you make mistakes with this boy, and you will, I have, make them on the side of grace. I went, okay. That doesn't mean, again, that you don't have some consequences to boundaries that are pushed or run over. But I say, make sure they know that you will accept them. You will work with them to make a change if they would like to. You will always love them. I would tell them. I had one woman, oh, a number of years ago, who, who wrote me. She said, my son's getting out of jail this week. We have younger children. We're letting him come home for a little while to see if he can live peacefully here. I said, Okay, that makes sense, because you do have to consider other children and the impact on them, and it is an impact. Um, and she said, but if he blows it, then we're just going to tell him we're done with him. And I went, no, 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 please don't do that. Uh, John Piper's son, Abraham, was a prodigal for a while. He walked away. Um, the church said he could leave gone by and uh, but John said you're my son and I love you and so he waited and he was patient and he loved and he showed grace and Abraham came back after I don't know two or three years which seems like a very short time to me Uh, (laughs) but anyway Abraham wrote this wonderful article about basically how to love your prodigal child so I sent it to this woman and it said you know, don't abandon them. Don't reject them. Just help them to see that they've made choices that require uh, consequences, but keep loving them. And she called me up. She said, thank you so much. Thank you. You kept us from making a terrible mistake. And I, I would say the same. When our son 
once he was an adult, you can't kick him out before they're adults. Uh, once he was an adult, his his young adult years were worse than his teen years um, because he was an adult, you know, and so he could do what he wanted. And he was living at home and we were trying to help him to have a place where he could have good people around him, uh, a safe place. And uh, we were helping with some expenses for him while he was working, trying to earn a living, which was never a sure thing anyway, but he kept making bad choices. So we set some standards, some boundaries. And he said, now, if you choose not to live this way, then you are choosing to not live here. And um, so when six months later, my husband said, you need to leave. And he says, you're kicking me out. Oh, no, no, no. We're not kicking you out. You're making the choice. You knew what was required. It's your choice. And so as much as you can, when you're trying to help them with some boundaries or some rules that you need to have for your family, uh, make them so that he understands them and uh, help him to be able to even say back to you the choice he's making when he violates those, that he can understand it's his choice. And um, I... That's one of the things, but the most important things I think are, are loving in tangible ways, reaching out to look for, include them in the family. Um, even if they can't live there, they can still come and be a part of things and, and show grace because God has been so gracious to us and he's got to be our model that, and then the other thing is to pray because we can't change them and we have to realize we are not perfect. We will not do it perfectly. And even if we did, that doesn't mean they will respond. And so our only hope is that the, the God steps in and he can turn the heart. He will pursue them. The, story, the Bible is the story of God relentlessly pursuing all of us. And I believe he calls us to be relentless pursuers of those we love. And even those we don't know that will cause us to go to the world in some way or other. But for sure, for those of our own family, that we would follow God's example and be relentlessly, lovingly, graciously pursuing them, even while we say this is not acceptable. And so the, even the tone of voice I wrote a whole series of, of letters to my prodigal community on grace. And um, one of them was called The Voice of Grace. And it's, it's talking about how we talk to people. Words are kind of neutral sometimes, not always. But a lot of words can be neutral. But if you say them with a wrong tone or with anger in your voice, even acceptable words will, will not be graceful filled words they will be antagonistic words um, and, and so I, I said in that another one of those uh, letters I wrote I said just remember that what you say now will possibly be in their memory for the rest of their life and be something in your relationship that you, you can't get rid of you can forgive it and, and you can you know, repent, ask forgiveness, forgive, 
but it can come back. It's still back there. It rarely just disappears. And so you don't want those things. So anyway, grace, love, prayer, those are the things that I would say. Praying for their friends. I asked Josh one time in front of a group of parents, um, so why did you make the choices that you made? He said, oh, that's easy. Everybody thinks it's all my angst from my past. And it probably was more than he knows his, his drinking. But he says, I did it for two main reasons. It was fun and my friends were doing it. And so helping our kids to have good friends, positive friends, helps. Doesn't guarantee it, but it makes a difference. It gives them a much better chance. And having things to, to do that are fun, especially with the whole family, are good ways to keep them engaged with the family and um, realizing you don't have to be doing the things he was doing to have fun. So good. And I'm so grateful for your words. And I think people are really going to resonate with them. What has, what has God done or how has he restoried you in the past year? Well, the things, the things that God has taught me over these years that impact me now, they still, they impact the decisions I make. They impact how I relate to people. Uh, so they're very real even now. They continue to help me to be loving to people who aren't very lovable necessarily. And so when somebody mm, is unkind to me or betrays me or something like that, and my natural reaction would be to not, God has worked into my life a pretty quick response to say thank you, to choose to love, to be merciful, to have compassion, to give grace to people. And most of us need so much grace. Oh, all of us need so much grace. And, and so that uh, has given me, all right, here's something that God's really, I'll tell you two specifics, okay? One, God has given me, and I think it's grown entirely out of my journey with Josh. He's given me a little personal homeless ministry. I have my own ministry with crew and I'm content and busy and and yet God has put such compassion in me that he has made me aware that any homeless person almost will tell you the worst part is that they're invisible they say it's people they won't look me in the eye they'll walk away they'll they won't talk to me they'll Avert, you know. In fact, it's kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan when the Levite and the priest walked across and went down the road on the other side so they wouldn't have to encounter it. So God said, I want you to engage with homeless people that I put in your path. I don't go looking for them, though I do now have my eyes open for them. And I want you to ask them their name. Nobody knows their name in their communities because they do make have communities to for safety somewhat. They call each other by nicknames. They rarely use a real name. And, and so I ask their name. If I haven't learned their name, it's almost always a man. So I say, sir. And I might say, sir, several times because I want them to feel like they are a real person with dignity. And so that's one of the things that God has asked me to do. But I talked to them. I asked a little, I said, how'd you get here? 
and they'll almost always tell me. And I, you know, I ask them what are the hard things about it, and and you know, what's where's your family, and sometimes they'll tell me. Others assure me one that they're lying to me, and if I give them money, they will spend it wrongly. And I'm like, you know, I think that's for me is in God's hand. And and so I might talk to them two minutes if that's all the time there is, or I might talk to them 15 minutes. One of the most amazing interactions was one I didn't want to have, but I was coming home from something and I was in a hurry. And I see this man in a wheelchair trying to get across the street and I'm parked at the light watching him go across the street, but I'm in a hurry. <clears throat> and so I, the light changes, he makes it to the, the sidewalk. I turn right and God says, I want you to go give him what's in your purse. I went, what? I don't have time. He says, I want you to go give him what's in your wallet. I went, all I have right now is a $50 bill. <laughs> and he said, I want you to go give that to him. I went, okay. So I whipped around through this gas station on the corner, parked, and he's going down the other street there. And I went and talked to him. And his name was, was David. And I said, I was not nice at first. <laughs> I said, David, God said for me to give you this. He looked at it. He said, you shouldn't be giving me this. I said, God told me to. He said, don't you need it? I said, yes, <laughs> but apparently you need it more. <laughs> and so anyway, that was the start of our really wonderful conversation because he started asking me questions. And then I would turn to leave and he would say, don't go. I said, turn around and we'd talk a little more. He'd ask me more questions. I'd turn He said, please don't go. We talked for, I'm sure, 20, at least 20 minutes. He asked me about my grandchildren. That kept me. Uh, he told me his story. It was a sad story about uh, health failure that took everything that he owned. And, and people would tell me, oh, he's making that up. I said, you know, that, that's not between me and him. It's between God and him. I said, so I gave him the $50 and I prayed for him. And um, it was a sweet time. But he kept saying, don't go. I'm so lonely. So that was just one of many, many stories. But that grew out of one, Josh was homeless. He and his mother lived in a trailer that his grandfather provided some of the time. But once I asked him about being homeless, he said, we were never homeless. I said, you had a home all the time. I didn't think you had the trailer all the time. He says, no, but every night we had a place to crash. And so... He wasn't homeless because he wasn't on the street. But um, but also to see many of them who are there, some by their own choices, and many because of losing a job or a single mom or kicked out by a family or mental illness or all these things, they weren't all their choices. Some of Josh's issues weren't their choice, his choices, because his mother messed up his brain some. Not a lot. He's not mentally deficient, but everything's not as sharp as it could be. And, um, and, and so I see those things and I care about these people. I also find myself more and more helping the parents of those who have rebelled to maybe see a bigger picture of them than they might have. And, um, that, that's great. The second thing is that I'm almost finished with my book on when you love a prodigal. Um, grace for the wilderness. <laughs> it's 
a funny title. I went, believe me, it's a wilderness. And God's grace is what will get you through it. So I'm in fact today I'm finishing up a revision on my proposal. I have two chapters to finish on the book and and it's ready and we'll see if my agent finds a place to send it. <laughs> so so I'm excited and when I get tired of it and I say, I don't need a book, I say, No, but an awful lot of people need to understand that this is a grace journey. And my message, I think, of grace is the thing they really need to hear. That's a perfect way to end this interview. Thank you so much, Judy, for sharing about your journey and the grace that you've learned and the prayer and all of that. I just really appreciate your words and your kindness for coming on today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. A pleasure to be with you. Look forward to the next time I see you in real life. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Thank you for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? In fact, I'm going to pray for prodigals. Jesus, I pray for those listening today who have prodigals in their lives. Help us to love those people so well. Help us to err on the side of love. Help us to jump onto the side of love. Help us to be so immersed in grace that we offer it freely. Help us to understand that this may not be about them, but about our growth. Thank you for the opportunity to have people in our lives that we can be burdened for and pray for, and that it causes us to be closer and closer to you, that that prodigal in our life is actually a gift to teach us to be closer. And so help us to get to that place of gratitude, Lord, because gratitude is so hard to come by when we watch someone broken. We do pray for those people who are far from you, that they would come to the end of themselves, just as we've had to come to the end of ourselves. Everyone's level on the playing field of the cross. So I pray that they would come to that place where they reach up finally for you. Lord, you love to redeem. You love to stand on tiptoes um, as the prodigal father, welcoming back and searching for that son or daughter who's far away. So help us to visualize that as we pray. Help us to see that powerful metaphor come to life in our prayers. And help us not to give up. Lord, forgive us for being prayerless after years and years of praying. Help us to be tenacious in prayer for those who are far from us and far from you. Lord, do something new. Please, please bring these folks back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash four dash three, and may you live a brand new story 